Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. For learning and game designers, data science isn't just analyzing numbers. It's having a conversation with the people who are playing your game. From a tabletop game about the Black Plague to a video game about political regimes, our guest, J.D. Calvelli, has witnessed how game design can influence a wide variety of education experiences. He has also learned how data science can further elevate and personalize those learning experiences for different audiences. J.D. Calvelli is a technologist and game designer interested in the ways in which interactive arts and media can and do impact the way in which people think and learn. He is currently pursuing a Master's of Fine Arts in Game Design at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. Prior, he was an analyst and software engineer at the Center for Radical Innovation for Social Change at the University of Chicago, where his work centered on the intersections between games, behavioral economics, and educational pedagogy. Thanks so much for joining us, JD. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and thank you in advance. Yeah, no problem. I like to kick off our conversations with a simple question. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's been so many. I think for me, the most impactful educational experience that I probably have had is one that I've come back to many times and I think has really sort of unintentionally, but obviously shaped a lot of the direction in which I, I've decided to go in life. I had the really awesome opportunity in sixth grade to have a teacher who is really, really forward thinking for the time in terms of like what can be done in the classroom, like how the classroom should should work and what sort of things should be done inside of it to try to encourage students to learn. And he put together an entire semester's worth of content about the Middle Ages and the Black Plague that was all framed within the context of a tabletop like role-playing game. Our job was sort of to to lead our towns. And in order to do that, we had to read a bunch of, you know, first person accounts of what happened during the time of the Black Plague and do a bunch of like research and, and writings of how we intended to lead our fictional town, utilizing all this this actual research and experience that we have from that time. And then we actually played a simulation where basically based on how well we did on our homework assignments, we got buffs and 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 stats to our to our little town that we rolled dice for to see how well we did in certain scenarios. So, you know, I, I come back to that all the time. I tell that story all the time because I think it really like shaped both like the way I look at the classroom and, and hopefully what I'd like to do in my career, but also clearly it had enough of an impact on me that I'm still thinking about it many years later. Yeah. I mean, clearly your work is focused on game design and education. So outside of these amazing experiences that you had, like in sixth grade, what got you interested in this field? You know, I think I've, I've always played games. I think a lot of people that are that are in the game design space tend to be of that sort. But of course, there are others. But I've, I've always played games. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I used to view games sort of, I think, as most people do on, on more of a service level as an entertainment platform, you know, perhaps the most impressive entertainment platform that we've yet created as humans, but strictly sort of in, in that sense of an entertainment platform. But then I had in undergrad, the really, really lucky experience of being able to take a course on critical video game studies at my institution that was offered literally one time for one semester that I just happened to catch. And I was looking for another class and I was a sophomore and I didn't really know what I was doing yet anyway. 
And I was like, this must be interesting, right? I'm sure this will be really cool. So I, I took that course. And in that course, we really focused on games as an art piece and games as a medium for storytelling. And specifically games as not only a medium for storytelling in the traditional sense, but a medium for messaging, for saying something meaningful about something. And the game that, that really sort of proved that to me was Papers, Please, which for those who don't know, it's essentially a, a game about what it's like to live in an authoritarian regime. And I, I will say that I learned more about what it's like to live in an authoritarian regime from playing that game than I ever did from reading it out of a textbook. And so that, again, sort of inspired me to, to think about games generally in a more critical fashion as, as really a, a medium, much like, you know, film or television or books or journalism or articles or, or any other medium that you so choose podcasting, but, but really sort of to think about it from that angle. And that class, I think, really inspired me in addition to like this bubbling in the back of my head experience, you know, playing games in sixth grade in the classroom to, to really like pursue this path and see where it goes. I definitely recommend that Papers, Please game. I've seen it in action. And oh, yeah, you it's like you get the day-to-day feeling of what it's like in a political regime. Yeah, any history teachers out there, as you're teaching your students about any sort of authoritarianism, I think it's a really great companion piece to any work that you do in the traditional sense, any films you watch, so on and so forth. Because like you said, Charlotte, it's it's very much like you are an individual human being being, you know, under this very oppressive, not real, but clearly based on real life experiences, political regime. And it teaches, I think, in a really meaningful way, like how people have to walk through that life without giving too much away. <laughs> <laughs> it allows you to practice that empathy muscle, basically. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Right. So now you took that one class, just that one random class where did you go from there? You said, oh, this is really cool. What do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. At the time, I, I was really kind of smitten with the idea of games and I needed to, you know, learn my fundamentals. So I, again, had the really good opportunity of there being a club at my school. I went to Brown University, BRGD, uh, Brown RISD Game Developers, you know, shout out if, if any of y'all are listening by any chance. I hope it's still going strong. But yeah, so, so BRGD was a club that's existed at Brown for a really long time in the grand scheme of how long game design has been a thing in the academic space. So there's like a really well-established community that I got to become a part of and really hit the ground running in terms of, you know, learning how to, to make games. So from there, I had the opportunity to build a lot with them. And then I had the opportunity to go abroad and build some interactive art installations in Prague. Uh, which was really fun. I was supposed to have my work displayed in Berlin, but then COVID happened and I literally had to fly home. So that was, you know, unfortunate, but still a great experience. Then I came back my senior year. I had the opportunity to do a, a thesis in my concentration. So I ended up being a double concentrator in political theory and uh, media studies or Brown's media studies is called modern culture and media, which I'm sure at this point is probably no surprise for me. So I had the opportunity to do a thesis in that work where I built games and a capstone of my political theory concentration, where I built a game about like cultural transmission and the experience of sort of learning about one's culture through the different generations through which that culture gets passed. My family's from a region of Italy called Abruzzo. And I've been back many times. My great grandmother was alive up until I was 14 years old. So, you know, if I get a quarter of those genes, I think I'll be okay. So I had the opportunity to work on sort of what is it like to learn about my Italian culture from my grandfather and my grandmother and my great grandmother and so on and so forth. And what is it like for them to have sort of gotten that from their own parents? And it's framed in the context of 
creating our region's regional dish, which is called pastel cinghiale, which means like wild boar pasta. So you make this pasta and it's sort of this discussion between different characters in the story about my life, sort of coming to understand what it means to be Italian American and Italian and so on and so forth. And yeah, I mean, I keep going. I, I, I got to go to Risk, which was great. And there I got to work specifically on educational games, specifically in the realm of data science, which I'm sure we'll talk much more about. And then now I'm pursuing my Master's of Fine Arts at NYU, hopefully, you know, continuing to do some cool work in the space. So that's that's me, I guess. That's where I ended up. <laughs> that's right. There's a clear path of passion there. I got to circle <laughs> back about that game with cool, your yeah. cultural, because I, I, I'm from, my family's from Taiwan and I had the privilege of always going back as a kid. My grandparents lived into their nineties. So I really awesome. had some memorable moments with them. I even wrote two picture books about- Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And like, it's about food. One of them is my grandpa started a popsicle company in Taiwan. And so I just love the concept of taking that, that like feeling and infusing it in a game so that people can again, experience it in firsthand. What was that like to have that? It's such a cool crossover. It's really exciting. I think part of the reason why I, I chose to build a game as opposed to any other form of medium is that A, I love them, but B, you know, unsurprisingly, I think games in my mind have a really unique advantage in some ways when it comes to the ability to tell a story or present a message. And that's, in my mind, that games give players of them agency in the world, in the narrative, in the medium, direct control, you know, in some respects over certain elements of the narrative or all elements of the narrative in some cases. And I think that that's a really powerful tool to create that sort of like empathy connection that you were mentioning before in that you know, it's one thing to be told that an authoritarian regime is really oppressive, right? It's another thing to be playing as a person, to be, you know, an active agent in a world where there is an authoritarian regime and you feel the effects of that directly sort of through this proxy of, of the avatar that you play in your game. In the same way, like, you know, I could tell people about how meaningful making food with my grandfather was, right? Or I could have you maybe experience a slice of that by being an agent in the world that I tried to create that, uh, you know, embodies certain characteristics about what it means to be Italian, but more generally what it means to be an immigrant and a child of immigrants and, you know, what it means to have that experience. I think it was more meaningful to me to have people play that, right? To have people have agency in that world and really feel it in a way that, you know, maybe a film couldn't have done in the same way. Not that there aren't amazing films, you know, or, or amazing books or so on and so forth. There absolutely are. But I think the unique benefit of a game is that it changes in response to you, right? It builds and changes and grows and evolves in response to you as a player. And in some ways, you know, games, I feel like are, are really just a conversation between a creator and an experiencer where it's like, I made a thing and I want you to experience that thing. And you're going to, do everything that you can in that world to get something out of it on your end as well, perhaps that I couldn't even have thought of in the first place. So yeah, I think it's cool. And, you know, picture books in the same way, I feel like you're sitting there with a child or anyone, to be honest, and walking through that together has a similar sort of transmissionary feeling, right? A similar sort of agency in my mind. Right. It truly feels immersive. And yeah, I love yeah. how you're saying, you know, it's a conversation. A game can truly be an immersive conversation with your player. And you mentioned data science. So how does data science play a role in that conversation? And can you just, for everyone out there, 
give me your definition of data science in the context of game design. For sure. So I guess a little bit of background on this as well. So not to skirt the question, I'll come back to it, I promise. I was not a data science concentrator. Brown didn't really have that at the time. But as a facet of our political theory, political science concentration, actually, we had to take a, a statistics course and an applied statistics course. And so that was my first introduction to the ideas of data science. And I'm no expert by any means, although I, I have, you know, kind of gone around the block enough a few times on this at this point. But the way that I would describe data science is, is the way that like I came to understand in that class, which is sort of using quantitative evidence to prove a point or to sort of suggest because proof is very hard in statistics, suggest a certain course of action based on evidence that is in the data science realm is more often than not quantitative as opposed to qualitative. Qualitative evidence being, you know, people's feelings, people's sort of initial reactions, which, you know, in a lot of ways are very important in many respects and especially in game design. But the quantitative piece is, I think, a little bit more interesting in terms of how long did people play? Where did they drop off? For what reason? Which decisions did they make and why? Which decisions did they not make and trying to discern why? So I would say definitionally, data science is more often than not trying to use quantitative evidence to suggest a course of action. There are a bunch of tools that are associated with how you do that. I was taught the statistical programming language R, but you can do it in Excel. You can do it on a piece of paper, any any sort of like, in my opinion, analysis of quantitative data, quantitative information to suggest a course of action would be data science. How that relates to games, you know, I can go deeper on. <laughs> I know, yeah, let's dive into, you mentioned that you ended up working at the University of Chicago's Center for Radical Innovation and Social Change or RISC, right? Can you explain what RISC is all about and how data science played a role in what you did there? Yeah, for sure. And I, I can touch on games a little bit here too. So Risk is a very, very interesting, a very, very unique space that I was super honored to be able to have been a part of. So Risk, the Center for Radical Innovation for Social Change, was started by Steve Levitt, who is one of the co-authors of Freakonomics, which was a major sort of pop economics book that was really fundamental in terms of bringing the idea of using statistical analysis, using data to prove points that otherwise people perhaps wouldn't think about. So in Freakonomics, one of my favorite little sort of anecdotes that Steve talks about is that apparently statistically, sumo wrestlers actually throw certain matches in order to like keep their friend sumo wrestlers in certain standings because the incentive is there to keep each other within a certain block of standings. Very interesting, highly recommend reading. But the point being that you can use data, you can use quantitative information to prove some really interesting things or to try to prove some really interesting things to demonstrate correlation between very interesting things at the very least that perhaps you wouldn't otherwise think about. So that's sort of like a big ethos around the entire center for risk, but uh, the work that we do or the work that, that they do that I did now that I've gone on to my master's, the work sort of straddles like three spaces. It straddles sort of like consultancy, nonprofit work and innovation laboratory thinking. A lot of the work that we did at risk was either starting building our own things to try to do some social good, obviously with a backbone and an eye towards data science and, and utilizing data to inform those objects. Consultancy in that, you know, people would come to us and would ask us, hey, we want to do some good and we have this, 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 and this, or we have this, 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 and this sway or these objects or these concepts or these ideas. Can you help us do that? 
And so we came in to sort of assist in that respect. And in the nonprofit space, generally, we sort of advocate for a lot of things that we think are socially beneficial. But, you know, uh, chief among them is sort of data science and teaching data science in the classroom. So the other third of it is is sort of nonprofit work where we try to advocate for the importance of, of many things, not the least of which obviously is data science. So one of our big initiatives was the Data Science for Everyone initiative, where we believe that it's really important for students of all ages to be learning some fundamental lessons about data and about analyzing data and understanding data. And my job within that umbrella was trying to use games to do that. So I got to work with some some really awesome people out of Enable Education. They're based out of Canada, and they were interested in building sort of an introductory game for students from fourth grade to sixth grade equivalent in the U.S. to teach them some just fundamental ideas about like what data is, why do we care about it, and you know what can we do with it. And and so that I I spent a lot of time working with them on that project that's freely available, and that was really kind of the capstone I think of my experience at Risk, which I'd be happy to talk more about as well. But yeah. that's Risk in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Let's delve into that game that you work with, Enable. What was the game like? What was the kids' experience when they played a game to learn about data science? To your initial question also about, you know, how do we use data as game designers? I think I'll perhaps weave that in a a little bit here as well. So we built a game called Algorithm that is freely available for anyone that wants to go ahead and try it. We don't care if it's useful, please use it. If it's not, please tell us so that we can make it more useful. We developed this game utilizing the Spotify API, actually to try to teach students that there's metadata behind the songs that you listen to and that metadata is then used to make more informed decisions about you know what to listen to what to play so on and so forth data in the song space is like the actual digital ones and zeros that represent the song itself but the metadata about the song is you know the things sort of ancillary to the song that are also clearly very important and relevant to the song. So for example, the name of the song, the artist behind the song, but in our case, some more interesting things like Spotify does these calculations to determine what they perceive to be the tempo of a song, the danceability of a song, you know, the energy of a song, right? And so again, in those cases, those are some really interesting sort of, you know, integer values that we could take and analyze and say, oh, let's present that to some students and show them that beyond what they hear, there are these calculations going on in the background to try to determine, you know, what they'll like ultimately. So the game itself was creating and is creating playlists. You're in like a mushroom dance club where you're trying to encourage people to dance on the dance floor. And the way that you do that is by appealing to certain qualities that you could use your ears to try to figure out but ultimately you know using the data that we provide will help you to create a more danceable playlist or a more energetic playlist or a more tempo laden playlist and so the idea is that you know in playing the game you you teach students a couple of things right one that that there's data behind everything that we interact with and and if you look hard enough you can find it right two that data can be used to make more informed decisions in that, you know, you could use your ears to just sort of piece together what you think would be an energetic playlist, or you could sort of go to the data to help you make those decisions that otherwise you would sort of make, you know, on a whim or or off the cuff. And then three, that analyzing data can be fun. And the idea of looking at data is ultimately like a fun thing. A lot of people sort of associate it with 
like statistics in the broader sense or math, you know, um, and I was certainly not a math person growing up. But that being said, you know, I, I really found a lot of enjoyment in data and data science and statistics. And I think that we wanted to make this game to try to maybe encourage some students that don't think that they like math, that they in fact do like certain elements of it. So that was sort of our guiding principle. And there was a lot of data that actually went into building the game. So from a designer's perspective, uh, I'd be happy to talk more about that as well, if that would be of interest. I'd love to hear that because I mean, we're going to go meta on the metadata, <laughs> right? Because you're like teaching about metadata, but then you're also using metadata to refine the game. So can you dive into what kind of data did you collect yeah. the player to figure out how to improve it. Yeah, exactly. So you're a step ahead of me, Charlotte. Thank you. The one thing I would say before even going into that is that in game design, I think generally right now, there isn't enough of an emphasis to my understanding on the importance of quantitative data. There's sort of this general understanding that like playtesting is very important and playtesting absolutely is very important. By playtesting, we mean, you know, presenting unfinished works to the target audience that you intend that work to be for to figure out whether or not that work is reaching that audience in the way that you want it to. So to that end, the game industry, I think generally very much understands the importance of playtesting. But I think a lot of the conversations, at least in the academic sense that I've been exposed to thus far, has ended kind of at the qualitative stage where it's like, oh, this person presented to me that they liked this mechanic or they didn't like this mechanic or they, you know, thought that they would like this mechanic more, so on and so forth. And all that's very useful, right? But ultimately it's qualitative. It's subjective in a lot of ways to that particular person. And you might hear certain trends across different people, but in general, all of that information is qualitative. But what isn't qualitative, what is quantitative is tracking information like I mentioned before, how long did you play this level? How often did you engage with this mechanic? Did you or did you not, right? People say a lot of things, and that's really obviously very important. But at the end of the day, sometimes their actions actually, you know, belie their true intentions. For example, when we were playtesting the game, we had a player that was like, oh, I don't actually really love the mechanic of dragging and dropping. We were like, that's totally fair. But that player was one of the people that played the longest, had the highest scores in general. And so as much as we like appreciated their qualitative feedback, we also had to sort of offset that with the reality that like, clearly this person likes this game to a certain extent, because they're still going, right? And even if they don't like this mechanic, they say that they don't like it. They actually had one of the highest click-through rates of anyone that was playing. So again, to that end, you know, data is super, super relevant in the way in which you make decisions. Like I mentioned earlier, right? Like the way that you decide as a designer to push the direction of your game ultimately, I think, should be based on more than just the qualitative opinion of certain people. It could and should benefit from utilizing some more quantitative analysis. So for the algorithm game, for example, we actually went out and showed the unfinished product to students in that age group. And we collected data about how long they played, where they got stuck, what they did, where they clicked, where they didn't click how long they read certain things, how long they didn't, to try to discern whether or not the game was ultimately achieving the goal that we were setting out, which was trying to teach students something about data. A more concrete example of that would be we had this wall of text that was introducing 
the idea of danceability, like what that is and why it matters. And every student, we tested with like, I think 20 or 30 students at that point, And every student clicked directly past, literally could not have read it, right? That drives uh, me nuts because you no, spend so much time finessing that text. And then you you see the data and you're like, oh, they just skipped through yeah, it. <laughs> everyone skipped it. And, and what that allowed us to do as much as we were like, oh my God, right? Is we were like, okay, if at most we're going to have this person for two seconds at this point. How can we pare down this text to be meaningful in two seconds? And so to that point, then we were able to actually create a more cohesive experience because if people don't read it at all, then they don't get anything out of it. If they read nothing, they get zero. If they read two seconds worth, they get two seconds worth, right? And so that can hopefully serve as a spark for them to be more interested as time goes on and you know you can grow the knowledge as the game progresses. But at that point in the game, we had them for two seconds. And if we shot all this text at them in two seconds, 35 out of 40 kids didn't read it at all, right? Then when we switched it and pared it down to the two seconds, and we asked students about whether or not they read it after that point, they were like, oh yeah, I did. And I can tell you something meaningful that was present in those words in those two seconds. So that's one example from our experience with algorithm, but generally the idea of like utilizing qualitative data to sort of push your design decisions as a designer, I think is going to be super important as time goes on. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done in that space specifically. Yeah, we, we live this day in, day out at Code Combat too, I'm sure, yeah. Where it's like we collect data, we have the same thing. We have text. Like We thought it was fun because it's graphic novel style as characters talking to each other. And we went back and looked at the data like, oh, they're skipping through all of it. Ah, and we had to find <laughs> tweaks like we do voiceover, we add more visuals and it helped a lot, but it also made us realize, like you said, keep it nice and short, because if they see that it's really long, they just completely disengage and we could see it in the data. And I like how you're saying data decision too, because when you then make a change, right, you can go back to the data to validate if that change actually did improve and you're not just designing in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and like you said, that there are so many solutions to a problem that's generated by data-driven analysis, right? And in your case, like adding a voiceover, that's a great solution to that problem. And you wouldn't perhaps even recognize that there is a problem. I know I certainly didn't until you get to that data and you can say, oh, people aren't reading, right? Now we can have a more really like robust conversation about do we want people to be reading this? Yes. Okay. Then as a result, what should we do to try to encourage that? Should we add a voiceover? Should we add more visual effects? Should we add animations? Should we, you know, create a more robust story elsewhere that then inspires them to read at this point? You know what I mean? And there's no right or wrong answer. And that's not the point. The point is to, I think, use data science to try to get to the right problem or get to the right question that you can then design a new answer about and then test that and see if that works. And then when it inevitably doesn't, the way that you think it does, you know, iterate and change it again and so on and so forth. And I think that's that's a lot of design. I think that's a lot of game design. I think that's a lot of learning in a lot of ways. It's testing in less fun ways, but also, you know, still ultimately like testing and iterating and changing and seeing how students grow over time. And I think what's cool about games is that you can develop them to sort of emulate that experience with the student as time goes on in an ideal world. But yeah, I totally feel you. It kind of sucks when you put all this work into something and then nobody reads it, but hey, better to put like 
less work into a thing and have people actually read it than put like 800 hours of effort into something that nobody sees you know what I mean I agree like I had to stop myself when I realized I was avoiding the data because I was just yeah. like I don't I, <laughs> I don't, don't want to know like, I'm yeah. so scared <laughs> So we had the same situation when we actually put the game in front of kids. We were like, oh my God, they're going to hate it. And it's going to be irrefutable because we can't pretend that they don't hate it because we have the data about it. Thankfully, they liked it. But there's always that fear. And also in a greater sense, I think there is probably a certain level of avoidance of looking at data because people don't want to be on a shadow of a doubt be shown or at least with with a certain degree of certainty be shown that something works or something doesn't work right it's a lot more comfortable it's a lot easier in a lot of ways to live in the ambiguity of whether or not something is true or something isn't but ultimately when you get down to the data and the statistics you know the numbers can lie but they often with good analysis don't and i think that that's that's a really powerful lesson to teach people right through games lesson to teach designers when they're making them a lesson to teach students as they approach you know, all of their subjects and the world as critical thinkers. I think that's, that's super important. And hopefully, you know, algorithm for us was like the first start in, in maybe inspiring that conversation for students. Agreed. And it's interesting because we've talked about how it can influence game design in general, and we're using examples where it's an educational game, but are there any other tips and tricks on what to focus on? If let's say you're designing an educational game and you're trying to use data science to help inform your design and how you're iterating yeah you know i'll I'll pull from the experience because i think that's most useful than just my pontifications but i think one thing that we really came to understand was important was zeroing in on a target audience we at the beginning of our process weren't exactly sure what audience we were trying to reach we weren't exactly sure you know who we were trying to teach something and that's really hard (laughs) to be in that space because then it really, you know, good design and good decision-making is made under constraint, in my opinion, because when you have the world at your fingertips, you get that decision paralysis of like, oh, what should I do? What should I not do? I don't really know. But in our case, you know, teaching data science, there's a lot that goes into data science. There's a lot that you could teach a student, right? Everything from those really bare fundamentals that are important that build on the entirety of everything else to more technical things like what is a regression and what does that mean? Or what are these sort of like statistical concepts that you can apply to data to teach you something about what's there? But the difference is like, I'm not going to teach a fourth grader what a regression is. And I'm also not going to teach a 12th grader that there's data everywhere. Because unless we see that like 12th graders don't necessarily know that fact, right? then it seems not worth it. And also on the other side, it would be a fruitless endeavor to try to teach the majority of fourth graders, you know, high level statistics. I'm sure there's some out there that are like incredible at stats, good for them. But I think in general, right, statistically, right, it's going to be very hard to teach a fourth grader multivariable regression and have them get something out of that. And so for us, we kind of floundered in, in this middle ground until we made a decision where we said, we want to target specifically four through sixth graders. And then that decision to target then allowed us to really hone exactly what it was that we were trying to teach. Because at that point, then we could cut out everything that is not fundamental. And we could say, you know, we really want to make a game about the fundamentals of data science. And then within that constraint, we could create something really cool or what we think is really cool, right? Or we could try to do something cool. So I think the 
One lesson I would give, because we learned from from sort of the absence of that for a while, is really determine, you know, who it is that you're trying to teach to, and then teach to that person and design your game around that person in mind. And I think, you know, all teachers, I'm sure, have already have that intuitively of like, yeah, I teach fourth grade. I'm not going to teach them regression, right? But, you know, in the case of a designer, I think that perhaps we tend to get lost in the in the possibility of like, oh my God, how cool would it be if we could teach a kid how to do regression? And it's like, well, you know, let's back up and reevaluate. So I, I think that's one lesson. Another lesson I would say is have people around you that know about the subject matter I think that's perhaps an underappreciated reality is that you can't design an experience in a silo, right? Like I am not a teacher as much as maybe one day I'd like to be. I've tutored before, but I'm not a teacher in in the classroom, right? And so I can't pretend behind my desk to understand the experience of a teacher in a classroom. And if I'm trying to create something for them, I need to get their input in some way. So we had, in our experience, like a cast of really accomplished, really awesome teachers from a variety of backgrounds that we would reach out to and talk to and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? Because ultimately, you know better than I do about you know what's going to work in a classroom, right? I might be able to design a great game, doesn't amount to much if uh, it's not going to be very useful in a classroom, if that's the intended setting that we want it to be used in. Similarly, you know, I came with my fair share of game expertise, but prior to being at risk, I didn't have a whole lot of data science expertise. I had some, but not much. So it was important for us on the team to have somebody present on our side that was more data science So I had the benefit of a lot of really awesome coworkers that filled the gaps that I had, which is like, I can talk about how to make a game. I can talk about mechanics, but today I can't really intelligently talk about, you know, data science. So, hey, Eric, hey, Karishma, can you help me out with that part? And I think that, you know, really knowing your particular strength and gathering people around you to help you plug the gaps, I think is is super, super important. And I think a lot of designers tend to, I I don't want to generalize, but there's definitely a vision that I have of designers behind a desk never interacting with the communities that they're trying to impact. And to me, that seems, you know, again, I'm generalizing, but that seems like a disservice. And it seems also not to the benefit of you as a designer to grow as a designer, not to the benefit of the product that you're trying to create or the experience that you're trying to create, you know, and not to the benefit of the community that you're trying to serve, because ultimately you can't know how it's going to affect the community that you're trying to serve until you work with that community. So I guess those would be my two lessons beyond like, you know, gather data and make your decisions based on what the data shows you, which is also obviously important. Yeah. I think you highlight on this thing too, about targeting your audience, because I think if you don't have a, why, if you don't have a focus, your data can actually be really muddied, right? It can make it really hard to interpret the data because if you have like a fourth grader and a 12th grader playing your game and that data is all like mixed in together, then it's hard to make a decision or really get accurate results. 100%. Um, And also to that effect, I guess, bonus advice, uh, bonus unsolicited advice, is that asking specific questions when you approach data is much more useful, I think, than asking general questions that is present in the data. Let me explain what I mean. For example, if I'm making a platformer, and I want to know how the platformer feels to play, right? The specific question that I might ask would be, oh, you know, how fast should the character move at their top speed in order to make this game feel fun? 
And that's obviously very data, or, or rather very, you know, game designy, less educationally, but hopefully it, it will make sense in a second. So I think to one end, it's like the way that I then approach the question is specific. There's this general question of like, I want this game to be fun, right? And I want it to be a platformer that is fun. And one element of fun platformers are the movement. And then I ask the specific question of, oh, how fast should I move? Or how slow should I move? Or, you know, how high should I jump? Or how low should I jump, right? And then from there, I can say, okay, let me go, you know, to my players and see if I tweak these values a little bit and give them to different people, see what the effect of that is, right? And I might, you know, intuitively think, oh, jumping higher makes it more fun, right? But in reality, if I'm making a game for sixth graders and I give a bunch of sixth graders two games, one where they jump higher and one where they don't, and those that, you know, jump lower actually play for longer, and my intention is to have people play my game for as long as possible, you know, regardless of my perceived intuition on the subject, right, it was actually incorrect intuition on the subject in this case. I shouldn't do what I thought I should do. I should do what I'm being told is the right thing to do, right? So I think when it comes to, you know, creating sort of like approaching data or approaching a game or a, an experience that you want to improve, the more specific the question is that you're trying to answer, the more useful you can make the data for you, the more you can tailor the kinds of data that you collect, the questions that you ask to really benefit your experience. There's never too much, too much data is never a bad thing, but you know, having data specific to a particular question can be overwhelmingly useful. That'd be my, I guess, unsolicited third piece of advice. <laughs> it, it's welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're entering a master's program focusing on game design and data science. What drove you to expand on your own education? You know, for me, it was a very personal decision. I Again, had a really great undergraduate experience where I learned a lot about political theory and, and data and, you know, that grew and expanded at my time at risk. And I also had the opportunity to explore making games in a variety of different respects. But I felt as though it would be nice to get really down to brass tacks on making games again, because the last year that I spent I, I had the benefit, obviously, of being sort of on the other side of it, of the more academic side, of the more economics-y side. I, that's not the right way to describe it, but, you know, the, the more behavioral side and less on the building side, right? The more, like, consultant side and less on the creating side. And for me, I think I really enjoy the creation, and I think I, I want to take that which I've learned, you know, in my undergrad and in my time at risk and parlay that with this more sort of, like, art school intensive building, you know, program. And I think I've had the great experience now, the great ability to have had a lot of the academic experience, but not as much of the building. And I think going back to that is really why I decided to pursue this particular program. And I'm excited to be back in the code, back in the engine, you know what I mean? And, and out of the notebook for a little bit, but taking what I learned in the notebook and in the Excel spreadsheets to hopefully inform the way that I design my games going forward. That's great. It's like full circle. Yeah. <laughs> now you're back into the game creation mode, but you're such a more well-rounded designer because you've delved into data science and delved into all of these other aspects of game design, right? 100%. And I'm so grateful for those experiences because, you know, I think all students should have some exposure to data science because I think that, you know, it's really empowering, especially in the modern world where there's so much data around us at all times, Right. And being able to parse through that and really 
develop meaningful understandings of the world and that which you care about from it, I think is super important. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of that experience sort of unintentionally, (laughs) which I'm really grateful for. So, you know, I'm very glad that I had that time and I think I will be a better designer for it. And I'm really excited to parlay that into into more of the technical stuff that I'm going to get back to doing now. Cool. And for you now with all your experience, how do you think data science could impact the future of ed tech? Yeah, big question. And I think there are a couple of ways in which it'll be important. I think it'll, it'll one, be important from this perspective of moving designers away from the gut feeling approach and towards the, you know, quantitative analysis approach. I think there is still room for gut feeling and I think it's very important. And I think the best situations are when designers take both their gut understanding and also the data and make the most possible informed decision, right? Based on their experience and also that which the data shows them. So I think as data science becomes more understood and and more, you know, a part of the cultural zeitgeist, I think ed tech will and should understand that the best design for products and for understandings and for experiences and for games, if you so choose to go that route, is the one that's informed by the community that you're trying to serve, right? And reality is best, I think, understood through the combination of both, you know, the qualitative analysis of people's feelings and conversations with those groups, and also the quantitative reality of their interactions with the idea. So I think that will continue to be relevant. I think more game designers should become statisticians. And I think more statisticians should become game designers, because I think there's a a lot of overlap to do good design there, to do good work there, I would say. I think the other way is that hopefully there will be more, uh, and this is, I guess, me just sort of parading my hopes, but I think, you know, hopefully there will be more educational, technological experiences that inspire students to pursue data science. And even if that's just making the data available in some way, that's obviously respectful of people's, you know, personal information and so on and so forth, which is paramount when it comes to dealing with data, right? But even if it's just, you know, making that available so that students can play with it, even if it's not like a super robust exploration into data science through a gamified lens or through an educational technological lens, right? Even just making it available, I think students will come to that and say, oh, wow, that's 10,000 rows of like every move that I've ever made in this game. Like, that's crazy that they know that about me. What does that say about me, right? And then maybe that sparks some interest in like, wow, maybe I should learn how to make a pivot table. Maybe I should try to find something out about myself through this information that I have about me. And even if one in 10 students ever does that, I still think it'd be really cool to give that student the opportunity to do that. And, you know, if there's more theme parky sort of experiences for students to learn about data science, I absolutely will not complain because I think it's super important. And I think that there's a lot to be done in the ed tech space to encourage that kind of work. So those are my two things. I think that data science is going to have a big impact on the ed tech space, in my opinion. I love the idea too, how you're saying, for example, on your game design team, you had these data science experts and that if we do continue down this route, we're going to focus more on the qualitative data. There's going to be a lot of career opportunities if kids are interested in data science across the board, right? A hundred percent. I don't know the exact number, but it's an irrefutable fact that the reality of the future is that data and data analytics and the capacity to be an intelligent data consumer however you want to define that is going to be critical in essentially every role that you ever have, right? Even if you never touch 
Excel or RStudio or Python or Julia, whatever it is, even if you never touched SQL, right? Like the fact that you are an intelligent consumer of information is going to be relevant in a million fields. And if I'm trying to preach how you know, game design and the making of games is benefiting from the reality of data analytics. It, it's going to be real everywhere. <laughs> I would be shocked if there would be any industry that wouldn't benefit in some way from data analytics. So I'm sure it will become an even bigger force as time goes on. And there'll be even more opportunities in every respect as time goes on. Right. Now that we see the value of it, exactly. what, yeah. what advice would you give to someone who's interested in trying out data science and teaching data science in their school or classroom? Ah, another really good question. I think I'll approach it from two angles, from the student and from the teacher. I think if you are a student who is interested, who has never experienced data science before, but is interested in the idea, you know, A, shameless plug, play algorithm because it'll be fun. But B, less shameless plug, I think there's never been a better time to be interested in data than now. The amount of tools, the democratization of the toolkit to be able to analyze data has done more for creating new data analysts than anything else ever could. And I think, you know, motivated students that are interested in that sort of work, give them access to R and R Studio and give them some, a YouTube tutorial series. And, you know, you would be shocked at what they'll be able to accomplish in a week and a half, right? Like, I, it's just like, just for lack of a better way to put it, right? Like, give them Excel, tell them what they can do with it and give them a data set that they care about. And I'm sure they'll move their own way through the experience such that they can figure out what they want. You know, there's Kaggle, which is like an online open data set aggregation site. There's Google BigQuery. They have all of these open data sets that you can query for free. There is plenty of APIs, like data APIs that are available that's a little bit more advanced, but you know, there's a wealth of information that can be available, instantaneous information that can be available at your fingertips with, you know, maybe a week's worth of coding experience and, you know, just enough interest, right? There's just way, there's so many ways for an interested student to find their way. And I honestly do believe that if you give them a programming language and you give them time and you give them a tutorial, and I think they'll figure it out. From a teacher's perspective, I would say that A, anyone can teach data science. I do believe that in some capacity, right? And not every exploration of data science has to be to the level of like, statistical analysis and proving, you know, like causation and, you know, P tests and, you know, it, not everything has to be to that level. And I think that sort of reducing data science to this like super academic pursuit that only statisticians can benefit from or can do, I think is totally antithetical to the point. And I think if you give your students an Excel spreadsheet with you know, 10 rows of information that you ask them to take an average of scores of, that's data science, right? If you ask students to sort of parse through a repository of documents and pull, you know, from that information that, that's meaningful to them, that's also data science. It's, it's more of a question of framing it as such and opening up to the conversation about how it's data science and less about changing the ways in which you do things fundamentally. And that being said, like if you do want to change and create a more robust data science opportunity or class setting or whatever, right? There's plenty of opportunities. Or there's plenty of information online to enable that. I mean, 
Again, another shameless plug, but the work that Risk has done with the Data Science for Everyone initiative is also all online and is a great jumping off point in terms of just finding things and trying to see how you could parlay that into your experience or into your classroom. And if not there, then elsewhere. You know what I mean? There's plenty of opportunities to just find that information and run with it. So, you know, I think, but I think, again, like not to get too bogged down in like how you should design your class. I think even just recognizing as a teacher, recognizing yourself, how so much of the stuff you already do is probably data science adjacent. And it's just a question of reassessing and, you know, just interpret and, and allowing for that conversation to happen and instigating that conversation from that perspective, I think is plenty. And from there, I think there's a wealth of places to go if one is so desired. That's so many resources that you just <laughs> listed. We'll make sure that's in our episode uh, cool, description cool. for yeah. you all to explore. JD, thank you so much. And I hope you all take just like a grain or an idea from this, because I agree you could do anything with a bit of data science. And I think it'll just elevate the experience itself. Thank you again for having me, Charlotte. This has been really fun. I hope that this is helpful and to the aspiring designers and developers and students and teachers, I think learning a little bit of data science can go a long way. And I think that hopefully this has been a little bit of a, of a plug for that, you know, at the very least. So thank you again. This has really been awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.